Welcome to another inspiring podcast from C3 New Hope. For more information about our church and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au. Fantastic. Hey, we're in our third week of our series. Um, what's it called? We vs. Me relationship series. And uh, this week we're going to talk about marriage. Talk about marriage. We talked about parenting last week and uh, I think friendship was the week before. Lou did that. And uh, so next week's Pentecost Sunday and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. But this week we're talking about marriage. Yeah, I'm pretty much done. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no answers for you. No, no, if you've got your Bible, come with me to Ephesians 5. And uh, we're going to get started there. I want to I go off one verse and then we'll come back and we'll go through the entirety of this passage um, because it's, you know, it's one of the well-known passages in the Bible on marriage that Paul's talking about, um, which holds some really good keys for us um, as married couples. And you might go, well, I'm not married. Well, that doesn't mean this stuff's irrelevant. Because who knows, maybe one day you will be. Maybe one day it might happen again for you if you have been married and you're not anymore. Uh, Or maybe you're young and you're thinking, well, what's this got nothing to do with me? I'm a young adult. Well, it's got everything to do with you. Because if you can learn some of this stuff now, you won't have to learn it later. Um, And the sooner you can learn some of these key relationship things, um, the better your life is going to be in knowing how to deal with a cranky husband or a moody wife or, um, you know, the, the, this, the, the, the struggles that come with marriage um, and relationships. So uh, let's go from this verse in verse 31. Paul writes these words, and these words were actually come out of, the, uh, out of Genesis 2 uh, when God and, and, uh, had created Eve and Adam and Eve were, the whole story of Genesis 2 and 3 where Adam and Eve were uh, created and, and Eve was, you know, and Adam and the whole, the whole story there. But uh, here it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. The two will become one flesh. They will be united. So to be united is to be bound, is to be connected, is to be joined together. And so Paul says this is a great mystery of how this works, but he's referring to Christ and the church as well. So he's, he's kind of taking that illustration of how, who Jesus is with the church and, and he's proposing it over marriage, saying this is an important part of a Christian's life, uh, to, to know when you're married how to be married successfully, how to, how to marry and be married in a way that will have longevity. Um, so so uh, I want you to meet, meet two friends of mine that I've... Uh, developed today. I cut them out. This is Emma. She's gorgeous, right? And here's the rugged, good-looking Dave. I mean, come on, uncanny, right? (laughs) But Emma and Dave have met and they fell in love and they decided they wanted to get married. They didn't know what marriage meant. Now, this is not a true story. I'm making it up, all right? It's just make-up time. I can't tell you the truth because then I'll get in trouble. But um, they met and they fell in love and they decided they wanted to get married. So they got married and they came together, as the Bible tells us that we come together. 
But they didn't understand too much about marriage and uh, actually I might need a, a set of hands. Can see, come up and help me. <laughs> Thankfully we're not doing parenting, otherwise we'd have little Zeke and little Jack and Lucy along here as well. I just need you to hold, all I need you to do is hold it, okay? You don't have to do much at all. You could even put the hood over your face and pretend you're not here. <laughs> so Emma and Dave didn't know a lot about marriage. They didn't do their pre-marriage course, which, I mean, these guys are like acing the course, doing a great job and uh, fully impressed by their ability to uh, put up with me week after week in marriage course. <laughs> so they thought, well, what is marriage? You know, what's going to keep us together? What's going to be an important element to our marriage? And, and, and I think the world has a lot of ideas on, on what keeps, keeps us together, like what's important. And so they thought, well, maybe if we, um, maybe if we have kids, kids might, might be, you would be able to hold that up the top here. Hold it from there. That's it. Maybe you have kids. Kids will keep kids will keep us together, right? Kids help us. We have a common purpose. We have a common direction. So kids, kids are going to be great. They're going to keep us together. Uh, uh, maybe money. Money could keep us. If we had the right amount of money, our marriage would be great. It'd be fantastic. We could have the best house. We could have the best car. We could have all that we ever wanted. We could buy multiple houses, and we could we we'd, we'd be happy if we had money in our marriage. Or maybe maybe. Um, Maybe if, if we just had, and, and I know there's a couple of young people in the room, but if we just had sex, maybe if we had lots and lots of sex, sex would be, that would make us happy, right? That would keep our marriage together. It, with that, that's, that's the key, right? That's going to keep us moving forward. It's going to keep our marriage happening and everything's going to be amazing. Or maybe, maybe if she just looked a little bit better or if he just worked out a little bit more and, and his looks and, 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 and then maybe we'd, our marriage will stay together. You know, I knew a guy. He was unhappy with the weight his wife had on. So he went and bought exercise equipment for her. Yeah, right? Every wife of there is like, what a dirty dog. And uh, because he wanted her to lose weight and he wasn't happy and he thought he needed to have a wife and, you know, there was lots of problems there. But um, well, maybe, maybe if I can... No. Maybe if I can just control my partner and they just do what I want them to do, act how I want them to act... And, you know, maybe if my wife, if she would just clean the house and she would just cook the meals, or maybe if my husband, you know, he would just take the garbage out, or maybe if my wife would take the garbage out, maybe if my husband just cooked the meals and cleaned the house, maybe if, we'd, maybe if, maybe if they just did what I told them to do and, and acted the way I wanted them to act, maybe then, maybe I could change my spouse. Maybe I could, you know, I've, I've married them with a few issues, but, you know, I can work that out. I can control them. Um, so we can think that these things will keep us together, right? Can I talk to you from a pastor's position? All right, I've been pastoring now like 18, 18 and on years and I've married quite a few people. And when I first started out marrying people, I had this idea in my head that 100% of the couples I marry will stay together. We all know where this is going, Right? Because, you know, the divorce rate in, in, in society is like 50-odd percent. And you realise it's not any different in the church. It's very sad that marriages are breaking down all over the place. And, uh, and, and, but from a pastor's position, from the time I've spent with couples that, couples that have succeeded and are still together, you know, one couple we've got, he's not, where did, he's not in here, but Josh and Jess Sylvester, I remember marrying them some, how many years ago is that now, Sonia? Can you remember how many years ago they got married? 12 years? 11. 
yeah, 11 years ago. So I married, I, I did pre-marriage course with them. I married them and they're probably nearly, there's not many, there's a, there's a couple. I think I was involved in your wedding. Yeah. Um, you were. You were my first, yeah. I, I think I did part of it. I didn't do all of it. But uh, from a majority of weddings that I've done, I can only pick a, a few that are still together and are still going strong. Um, which was really, really sad. And for some of those weddings, when you pastor people, you counsel them and you spend time with them, they have some of these ideas. But here's the thing, right? If you've been married any more than a little while, you realise that money comes and goes. You don't always have money. It goes more than it comes, right? (laughs) And... uh, I'm not saying that. But who knows that physical attraction, right? It's, although it's great and it is needed in a relationship and it, does, it is part of a relationship, it's not, a, it's not the essential part. And it won't keep your marriage together. The older you get, the more wrinkles we get, the more your body's different. Like, everything changes. As a dad, you get, you get the dad belly because, you know, you're a dad now and seems to be the way things look. Control just doesn't work at all. You cannot control your spouse into doing anything. And if you do, it's probably abuse and you should stop. All right? <laughs> because uh, mutual agreement's a lot better. And, uh, but what about, what about, you know, we realise, can this hold your marriage together? I've heard people preach that this is glue. Right? Sex. I've heard, I've heard it preached that, that sex is the glue of your marriage. But my question is, what happens when you get to a point or someone gets ill or something happens and that can no longer happen? Does that mean your marriage is over? No, exactly not, right? So, so although it's a great part of marriage and it's a God-ordained part of marriage and we should you know, pursue it, it's not the answer. And, 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 and one particular couple I know, she thought... When I have kids, I'll be happy. Actually, this one girl's life was, when I meet somebody, I'll feel happy and whole. Then she met somebody and felt empty. She goes, oh, but when I get married, I'll, I'll be happy then. She married him, then she was dissatisfied because he wasn't the type of person that she thought he should be. So she tried to control. And then she thought, well, then when I have children, surely when I have children, I'll be happy. Oh, she loves her kids, don't get me wrong. I, I, I know she loves her kids. She treats them so well, but she was still not happy. So here's the thing. If you think these things glue your marriage together, although they hold us for a season, kids, I've met couples who have had kids and they've stayed together until the kids are old enough to move out of home and then within like 12 months of that, they split up because they didn't work on their marriage to keep their relationship alive. So when, they, when the reason for their marriage left or the thing that was holding their marriage together left, that was it for them. They couldn't figure it out. So they, they separated. And there's lots of things. You know, a huge part of divorce these days is, is, is financial strain. We don't have enough money. We can't afford the lifestyle we want to live. You should be making more money in your job, this, that, whatever else. But if you think those things hold your marriage together, well, eventually they don't. You end up apart. 
Because there's really only, there's something a lot deeper that's necessary to keep a marriage together. And, and it's not about these external factors. Oh, you don't want to stay with me? Oh. But you're having so much fun with dad and dad and mum. <laughs> I mean Dave and Emma. <laughs> there's something else that's much deeper that binds us together which goes beyond these physical things that are great, except for control, that sucks. But the rest, it's all good. Money's good. It's good to be attractive and look good. It's good to do other stuff and have kids. So, and so on. And so you could put so many more pegs on this thing, I guess, if we, are, if we tried. But the reality is all those things are not going to keep us together for the long haul. They're not. They don't have any power in them. They don't have any, any substance about them enough to keep a marriage strong and healthy and going for longevity. There's something deeper that takes place. And I want to read now from Ephesians 5. And let's read from verse uh, 21. It says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, that's, this, even that verse is a verse I like to remind, especially some guys that I've met with, because what comes next I know I've met a lot of guys that only live in the next verse and don't go any further past that and they will not go back to this verse either. They just want the next verse to take place. And so, and so it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a, a, it's a general submission to, pe- to one another, right? Not just husband and wife, but to each other, people. Submitting to one another, working together for the bet, for, for, for out of reverence for Christ, out of respect for Christ. But then the next verse says this in 22, it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. I know so many guys that have used that, that verse to try and control their wives and they completely misunderstand the idea of submission here and what it really means. Um, and so take it out of context and they never go to the next verse where it, where it talks about the responsibilities of the husband. It says, so submit to your wives as your own, uh, to your own husbands uh, as you do to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body in which he is the saviour Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her body cleanse, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever, ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for it, uh, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man and a woman will leave their father and mother and be united to, their, to, and be united to his Oh, sorry, I've read that wrong. For this reason, a man will leave his father or mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as himself, and the wife must respect the husband. 
This passage of scripture gets taken out of context so much uh, when it comes to marriage and having a healthy marriage. Um, and, and a lot of it comes from immaturity and a worldly sense of how things should be. And, and we've all been conditioned and, and, and moulded by the world's uh, interpretation of what marriage is and what love is, right? So, so the world has a very clear uh, idea of what they think love is, but the church in Christ has a very different approach and a very different understanding of what, what marriage should be about. And so the idea here with the word submit, so wives should submit to their husbands, it's actually uh, translates from a military term. And it's the idea of having a general and having soldiers underneath underneath that general, is that those soldiers don't need to agree with the general. They don't have to uh, like the general, but they understand that there's an order of things. That in the, uh, in the military, there is an order. There is the hierarchy and then so on and so forth down the line. And, and without that order, without that structure, things don't work. It's chaotic, right? So, so this idea of submission, it's not for me to be able to lord it over my wife. I'm not there to control her or, or, or somehow manipulate her to do what I want to do, that she has to obey me. It's not that kind of thinking. It's more that there is a willingness in her to understand that there is an order of things that God has put in place. God works in order, not chaos. And in, in, in Genesis 2 and 3, Adam came before Eve. God had structured it in a way that Adam came before Eve and God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So Adam was by himself to start with. And he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Uh, he needs somebody, right? So then God takes Adam's rib and he makes him a wife. Adam calls, calls her woman because when he looked at her, he said, whoa, man, she is, she's the stuff. And uh, so he called her woman and then later he called her Eve. And, and, but the idea was that, that Adam came first and the scriptures refer, uh, keep sort of direct us to this if you go through other scriptures about submission, that Adam came first and then God brought Eve as a helper. She was under Adam. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't about Adam controlling her. It wasn't about Adam dictating to her or being some kind of tyrant, but it was about the order of things that God has put in place to, for marriage to work. And so so woman comes under, but it's not, she doesn't, she's not forced to come under. It's a willingness to come under, right? If you have to force your spouse to obey you, there's a, pro, there's a big problem in your marriage because uh, it doesn't work that way. So don't be fooled into thinking that somehow she might submit. But what I love about this is that, that, that Paul talks about this thing of submission, but then he goes down to the husband's responsibility. And he says, as, um, and so, sorry, the submission is it's a headship issue, right? Adam is the head of the home. Adam was the head, like God, Christ like God is the head, Christ. But so Adam is the head of his wife and it was coming under that headship and, and coming under that uh, with Adam. And then, but it goes on to say, it says, this is why your wife will do this, right? If you don't do this next part, you're going to find it hard to have a wife that wants to come under your leadership as a husband and come under your, um, you know, authority that God has given you. Because it says, husbands, love your wives. 
love your wives. Now we have to understand that word love there. It translates into four different, there's four different types of love that the Bible talks about. First is eros love, right? So it's, it's erotic love. It's where you get the word erotic from. It's, it's sexual love. It's that kind of intimate love uh, that the world and, and that we experience. The next one is, is, I don't know if this is the right way to pronounce it, but storage or storage, I think that's it. And like the family, that's like a family love. It's a love that is between a, a, um, a father and a son or a, 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 you know, a parent and a child. Um, and then there's another love called filio love, which is like friendship. It's like the love you would have between friends. Right, so it's a different it's a different level of love. Those first lev- first three loves are a are felt loves, right? So they're loves that we feel. Uh, they're not entirely um, focused on the church that and Christians. This is the kind of stuff that people feel all over the place. It's for everyone, and uh, so so. And these these first loves are very much the way the world sees love. Right? If it feels right, it must be right. I, they use language, people use language like, oh, I fell in love with them, right? And then, oh, no, I don't, I don't feel like I love them anymore. Um, so it's all based on felt love. It's all based on how they're experiencing and what they're feeling. But there's another type of love, and it's this, this is the type of love that Paul is talking about here when he says, husbands, love your wife. He says, it, it's, it's a love called agape love. All right, this is the love that sent Jesus to the cross, that was sacrificial and went to the cross for no gain of himself other than the fact that he wanted to bridge the gap between us and God mm-hmm. and give us access to heaven. And so this is the love that, that is um, it's a selfless love. Agape love is a selfless love. It's a love of self-denial on behalf of your spouse. So, so, so what he's saying here is, you know, wives submit to your husbands, but husbands understand this, that you have to agape your wives, which means you have to be selfless in your approach. You have to be, uh, it is not about you, it's about her. You have to present her as, as, a, as a, you know, as, some, as um, a follower. Uh, sorry, I've, I've got the words wrong here. But, but, but she, is, she is to be loved by you in a way where you love her and get nothing, you may never get anything in return. Because it's not about what you can get out of a relationship. It's about what you can put in to your marriage. Jesus didn't die on the cross to get something from us. The cross to give us something. It was a free gift. And as a, as a married man, we have to understand to love our wives is a life of self-denial sometimes and to give up things to be able to love her. Is this okay? <laughs> Very quiet. <laughs> Very quiet. I'm hoping this is, uh, is clear and, and we, we hear it. The husbands love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. So this agape love is it's it's not a it's not an emotional love it's not a feeling love it's not a felt love it's a decision love it's got more to do with the mind and making a decision to love somebody than it is to go I feel like I'm in love with that person 
Because the reality is, and we all know this if we've been and or are married, there are days where you don't feel like loving that person laying in the bed next to you. There are days where you go, I don't even want to talk to them. Like, because we're ticked at each other, right? Or we've done something or someone's done something and it's, 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 it's been, a, you know, a terrible argument or something's happened. We just, we're button heads at the moment and we don't really feel that love for each other. Because, well, was that wrong? Well, it happens, right? When you live closely and intimately with someone like that, you're going to have moments where you don't like each other. Does that mean my marriage should be over? No, it doesn't mean your marriage should be over. Why? Because, because just because I don't feel like I'm in love at the moment, that doesn't matter because I made a decision here. So the key to a great marriage is not how you feel. It's not how you look. It's not even sometimes how you act, although there are certain things in our acting that need to be in alignment. But there's something much deeper that takes place and it comes out of a decision and this is what holds a marriage together, and it's called commitment. Commitment is about my love. When I don't feel like being married any longer, I can fall back on a decision that I made to be committed to my spouse. Because I made a decision and I'm a person of my word, so I am going to be committed to that word. Is it going to be easy? No. Is it going to be a walk in the park? Probably not. But I made a commitment. I stood on an altar and I said, sickness and in health, for better or for worse. And I said, I do. Look, sadly, and I've, been, uh, I've experienced this myself, sometimes the I do isn't an I do. It's a, I might, or I, I did, but I don't. And, you know, divorce happens. It's a horrible experience. Um, from my own personal experience, it's a horrible experience, and I'm sure there are some in the room that could testify to that. Horrible experience when, uh, when, when a relationship breaks down. And this is why it's so important to understand some of these concepts of what Paul's talking about here. We can't let the worldly culture of understanding of what love is, oh, love is love. If it feels right, it should be right. I can do whatever I want to do for me. But that's not love. That may be expressions of some of the other love. The reality is love is selfless. Love puts the person before, not after. It's not about feeling. You know when the Bible talks about what love is? Just, just come with 1 Corinthians 13. This is what the Bible says love is, right? And we have to, we have to live by the word, right? This is the word of truth, absolute truth. It's from God. It says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Man, I have met couples where one of them keeps reminding the other one what they've done wrong. You know what that's called? An inability to forgive. Now, I'm not saying that everything that's done is going to be easy to forgive, but 
There has to come a point in marriage if you want to stay together where you have to get past that. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You know, every single piece of that love is a decision. Love is patient. We decide to be patient. Love is kind. Kindness is a decision. It's not a feeling. It brings feelings. Love does not envy. What? I, don't, I choose not to envy. Love does not boast. I choose not to boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonour others. It's not self-seeking. These are all decisions that we make in life. None of these are, oh, I feel like I'm in love. It's like, no, I, I make a decision to be in love. I love that the Bible shows us what love is. And it says this type of love, this agape love doesn't fail. It doesn't fail. If you live in this space, it doesn't fail. If you rely on feelings, you're going to fail. Why? Because one day you're not going to feel it anymore. One day you're going to feel like, I don't love it. One day the, the eros love's not going to cut it anymore for you. The erotic love's not going to work. The one day, you know, we, all these loves are part of a marriage, but this is the most important element of love. The agape love of Christ. Um, just to go back a step, when, we're told, when, when the wives are told to submit to their husbands, and I was talking about Adam came first, Eve came out of Adam as a helper, is what the Bible says, or in the NIV it says that. Do you know when, when Eve ate the fruit from the tree in uh, Genesis 3, we see that the snake deceived Eve to eat the fruit. And sin entered the world. And she came, she ate the fruit. She came and gave Adam some fruit. Adam ate of it. And then God comes because they realise they're naked. So they sew fig leaves together and they cover themselves and they hide, right? And then God comes into the garden and he's looking for them. Now, God knew where they were, but he asked the question anyway, Adam, where are you? He didn't ask Eve where she was. He said, Adam, where are you? And the reason he asked Adam where they were is because Adam was the head in that relationship. So God came and asked Adam where he was. He spoke to Eve and Eve obviously, you know, experienced the punishment of that sin, but Adam did as well. And, and it's interesting because, because when you, when you realise that as a husband, my wife is submitting to me, there's actually quite a, a big weight in the fact that that, that realisation that God is going to hold me accountable for my marriage. He's going to hold me accountable with my wife. The issue with Adam and Eve, and I honestly believe, and the Bible doesn't say this, but if we know the character of God, there was, had to be an opportunity where Adam could have repented there and said, all right, God, this is what we've done wrong and admit the, the sin. And if you know the character of God, the possibility of God's forgiveness was there. But Adam chose to blame God. The woman you gave me, she did this. So instantly what he did is he, he, he stepped out of his authority. Where was Adam when this was happening? 
right? He was, he was right there. The Bible doesn't tell us how close he was to her. Yeah. So he was right there, though. And, and he did nothing, right? He had the authority, right? Because God had given him that authority as the man to be able to sort that situation out. And, and yet he did nothing. What did he do? He, 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 he stepped away. Like he, he, he may not have physically stepped, but, but he definitely in his authority he stepped away and allowed this situation to unfold without interfering. Now, if Adam had stepped in and sorted that out, things would have been very different. And we understand that there's a whole, you know, purpose of the fall and all that kind of stuff and Jesus, it's all tied together. But if you play with the idea here a little bit, you start to think, Adam dropped the ball big time in his relationship with Eve because he stepped away where he should have stepped in. He should have come dealt with the serpent, Right? but he left it to his wife to deal with the situation. They paid the price, but God held Adam accountable. So, you know, you know these guys I know that, talk, oh, well, the, my wife has to admit to me. I'm like, you do not understand the responsibility that's on your shoulders as a husband when you're saying those words. Because when something goes wrong, it's gonna fall on you as a husband to have to deal with that with God. Now, I'm not saying that the wife get, well, well you know, she's going to get off stock. No, she still has a personal relationship with God that she will need to sort things out. But if I drop the ball, I'm, 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 I'm going to have to stand and have an account to God and say, yes, I got it wrong. So it's an interesting thought process there. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He willingly went to the cross. He willingly gave himself. He willingly laid down his life so that we would be presented as clean, unblemished, washed. doesn't necessarily always come naturally because it comes from God and to truly understand the love you must have a relationship with Christ without understanding the Christ part of the story you struggle to understand the agape love of God because it's only through encounter with Jesus that you encounter that love and feel like you can get a grasp on what it actually means to be sacrificial and self, selfless how you love your spouse because it's impossible to separate Right when you're married, without damage, because you're bound together. You're bound together in Christ, right? He's the glue. Commitment sticks you together. It binds you together. The commitment to her, the commitment to your commitment to God is is exactly the same. 
So if I try to separate, it's impossible to separate without damage. Because the Bible says that two becomes one. And so no matter what way I try, this is why divorce is so damaging. Because it's impossible to get divorced. I can't separate it properly. Some blues left, some pinks left. It's impossible to separate without damage. And this is the tragedy of divorce. Some people have divorce parties. They get divorced and they have a big party. But they're damaged. Because it's impossible to separate. If you've truly loved somebody, in the love that I'm talking about here, and this is the tragedy of the church, that marriages can fall apart in church as Christians. This is what happens. And that's just to the two people. It's not mentioning the children and friends and all that kind of stuff that comes with it. We need to take marriage seriously. It's important, very seriously. We need to take marriage seriously before we get married. Because for some people, they've chosen somebody and they've not thought it through properly. I've met people who think they're going to be able to change that person. Listen, if they don't change before you get married, they're not going to change later probably unless they get Christ in their world. I remember here reading this story about a 70-year-old lady who was single all her life. And the pastor said to her, why have you been single all your life? And she said, because I can't find a man that will love me the way Christ loves the church. She'd never met anybody, so she chose to stay single. But we live in a world that says, you, you know, this is important. You, this is the next process of life. I would say don't get married if you're not serious about it. Because why put yourself through the torture of a marriage that was not ordained in the first place by God? Take it seriously. That's why I like you guys at the pre-marriage course. I think I sat with you guys and did a pre-marriage course. And Josh and Jess and with you guys, I did. I sat with you guys as well. And the one thing I love about a pre-marriage course is it makes the couple think about things and face things. It's not everything, but some big things before they get married, which gives them an opportunity to work through stuff. And if you can do it before you get married, you don't have to do it while you're married. That's much better. So cool. The band come, I'm going to finish. I've been going too long. What I want to do is I want to pray for marriages this afternoon. Now, we're focused on friendships. We're focused on parenting last week and we pray for parents. But I want to pray for marriages. Uh, you know... I don't know, whatever you want prayer for in your marriage. Honestly, it doesn't matter. If someone's up here and you want prayer for your marriage, you can come out. Just put your musical instrument down and come out. I don't care. I think Joe needs prayer. 
But I want to pray for, for marriages. I want to pray for, you know, just for God to come and do what only He can do in our marriages, right? Because we desperately need Him. If we're left to our own devices, we stuff things up. My first marriage, I stuffed things up. It wasn't all her fault. I did things too. Although I did live with a blissful ignorance to think that once you're married, you'll always be married. And that's only true if you're willing. And that's both parties. You can't just have one party willing to do this. But both parties are willing to be committed to working it out. That means when something comes up, I don't put my head in the sand, we deal with it. No matter what that looks like, I'm going to deal with it. Why? Because if I don't, it's going to destroy my relationship. As soon as one part of the, the, connect, the, the two decide they don't want to pay the price, that's the beginning of the end. As soon as one in the relationship decides, that's it, I'm not, it's all that person, it's all their fault. You know, one of the biggest things I had to realise when I got divorced, because I would blame her all the time, is realise I had a role to play. And I have to accept responsibility for what took place. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information about C3 New Hope and its locations, visit our website at c3newhope.com.au.